Welcome to College Baseball 365 and another edition of This Week in ACC Baseball. I'm your host, Stu Murray. I'll be joined momentarily uh, by my co-host, Josh White, as we'll look at everything going on in this conference with just two weekends left in the regular season, talk about clubs, their postseason resumes, uh, upcoming matchups, and really get into the conference as it gets interesting here. But before we do that, it's my pleasure to welcome to the show Virginia pitching coach Drew Dickinson. Drew's in his second year coaching at Virginia. Before that, he spent eight highly successful years as the pitching coach at Illinois. His alma mater is back in the early 2000s. He was quite a pitcher, a left-handed pitcher for the Illini. So it's really a pleasure to welcome to the show Virginia pitching coach Drew Dickinson. Drew, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thanks, too. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Well, we want to jump off really uh, in back going back to 2015. And Virginia fans probably say that's a great place to start. That's when, uh, of course, <laughs> they won a national title. But you were at Illinois then and, uh, you know, coaching with with Coach Hartlieb and really the most successful season in that program's history. You guys won 50 games. You had a 27-game win streak. You won a regional. And you went to a super and got beaten by the defending national champ, uh, the, the Vandy uh, Commodores. But I'm wondering, you know, you're a, an Illinois guy. You obviously played there. But if you could reflect on that season and what it meant to you personally and what it meant to that program. Well, obviously, the you know, the personal side of it for me was was great, right? Like I, I took that job. I, I didn't say I took that job. I was I was able to get that job after being a volunteer there, knowing I wanted to go to coaching. So obviously, it's very fortunate. Just hey, hey, I get to start my coaching career at the place I played, right? Which was at a pretty good level of baseball. The Big Ten was obviously starting to get going, and after Indiana had went to the, you know, Omaha in thirteen and whatnot, and um, it was special. And then you know, I I told Coach Harlow when he hired me, my goal was to turn this program into a regional caliber club every single year. And in my opinion, it started with, it starts with pitching. Hmm. Um, we had always, we had always hit there and you see a lot of Midwest teams and Northern teams hit just fine, but they don't have the arms because they usually lose those arms in recruiting battles and teams in the South. Right. Um, and I just thought we could, I thought we could get guys to stay and we could develop them up. And uh, I guess that year was kind of a culmination of my, it was my first recruiting class um, that were kind of juniors that year. And we ended up having, you know, 10 drafts and, um, you know, that year was a lot of fun. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of coaching going on. They, we, we, they were just good players that developed up, and you, you kind of just go let them play, and, and you sit back, and you got to kind of be a spectator of it all, and, and you just kind of basically manage the lineup and manage the, you know, who's coming in out of the game and the bullpen. And But those guys were, were great baseball players, they great teammates. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, it's so funny now that, that I'm at the place where it was kind of all interconnected in that 2015 year with – you know, us, you know, making our first super and hosting it. And then, you know, unfortunately, they, unfortunately, they, they had, weren't seeding one through 16 yet back then, because if we were, I don't think we would have to face the defending national champions <laughs> right? Uh, to go to Omaha. But you know what? I, 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 I relish that opportunity because I've always been a guy who's like, hey, you want to you want to be the best, you get to beat the best. And hey, no better way to go to Omaha than to be, uh, you know, defeating the defending national champions and uh you know obviously didn't work out and you know funny that you know they ended up playing virginia and virginia won their first national championship and now i'm i'm hello come full circle i'm at virginia now so it's uh but no that, that year was was you know obviously very exciting i think about it a lot and you know that, that that team is still very close to this day and that's what usually happens right championship clubs uh usually have great relationships and they, and they stay in touch for years to come well, relationships is really what we're all about in this business. And, of course, they're cemented for a lifetime when you share something like you guys shared in 2015. Now, Coach, I want to go a little bit farther back here to your pitching days here in the early 2000s. You were really a dude 
Uh, you went 30-7. and seven. You were a Big Ten Pitcher of the Year, drafted by the A's, uh, played pro ball for several years there. But I'm wondering if, if you could go back then with what you know now. I mean, here we are in this analytical age. We know so much more about spin and about, uh, you know, where to command the zone and so forth. And would you have done anything differently back then had you known about all the tools that are available today? Right. I don't think I would have changed necessarily my approach. You know, I was a two, you know, a predominantly two seamers away to righties, right? Four seamers away to lefty type stuff, and with a good change up. Um, and so I was always going to be living down in the strike zone um, for my for myself. I bet you with tech we could have probably improved. I probably I probably had a, a below average major league curveball. Um, I bet you we could have improved that and figured out ways with with video and tech and, and high speed cameras to to help improve that. Because I've always I always thought I was a really athletic person, so I felt like if you can give me things to do, I'll change and I'll be for the better, hmm. right? Um, but no, I mean, I, I kind of alluded this before we went on with you about there's a lot of guys I played with that probably would have been big leaguers that that weren't because, you know, back then you just taught everybody, hey, pitch the bottom of the zone, pitch to the knees, pitch to the knees, and then all we'd watch these guys throwing 94, 95, getting hammered, and you're like, you didn't understand it, but now we do understand it because I guarantee that guy was a high spin rate guy and. He should be pitching above the, up the top of the zone, being above the barrel, and it's just it, it allows now knowing that allows guys um, to stay in the game longer, right? Because they're they're pitching to their strengths on a more regular basis. But uh, for me, I don't think it would have changed anything. But uh, it's still been kind of cool to be in that era to have that stuff, and you never know what would have happened. For me, I think the technology on the strength and conditioning side would have been the biggest advantage for me being a, a six-two skinny lefty. <laughs> Interesting. Well, let's talk about some of your dudes uh, right now at UVA. This is your second year, as we said last year. You guys really had it going. You had an ERA under 3.5, which was the best ERA since that 2015 championship team. Right now, your ERA is number two in the ACC, and really the headliner is Andrew Abbott. And you know, Abbott's done everything for you guys over his career. He's relieved. He's started. He's been a star in the classroom and a leader. I'm just wondering what you think his role might be at the next level and what he's meant to the program uh, just as much off the field as on. Right. Well, man, for the program, he's been a rock. And, and like you said, not only a rock on the field, um, and I say rock on the field, like a, a consummate pro. I, I, you know, guys who come to work every single day, um, not only for themselves, but to better the betterment of the team as well. Always helpful with the younger guys. Um, you know, not a guy you have to babysit and oversee when he's doing, he's always going to do his things, do his stuff, do it correctly. Um, to me, that's a pro, right? A guy mm -hmm. who knows what he's doing. Um, obviously an outstanding kid, uh, which makes it even better <laughs> when you're a coach and the kid's a great human as well. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned off the field, I mean, the kid graduated from Virginia in three years Wow. and, and obviously last year's draft, it was, you know, kind of, kind of funky and, and he didn't get picked and it was, you know, that whole thing went down and. He came back and now he's going to have a grad degree in one year and 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 go pitch you know in for a long time i think he'll be uh, utmost confidence he'll be a big leaguer just because the, the athletic talent that he has um yeah like you said he's done it all here and i think be able to start this year and he's controlled and handled his velocity the entire time through and all those things wow. i think he's proved to everybody that he can do either or um no when he gets a pro ball i think that's up to the organization and for him to prove, you know, with, with his results, what he can and can't do at the highest levels of, of baseball. But, you know, you see it so many times. Oh, guys can't start, but they end up being great relievers uh, and, and have a long big league career, a long pro career. I think that's him, and I think, I think his career will be what he makes of it, of, of which way he's a starter or, or a reliever.
Another guy with a real bright future is Mike Vassell. And of course, he came into your program highly touted, a lot of expectations and pressure. He's now really starting to find it in, in his third year. Been sort of a workhorse for you. Uh, 11 starts and, and uh, been really, really key on, on many Sundays throughout the early part of the season. What have you seen uh, from Vassell that has, that has turned him around and made him so effective now? Uh, biggest thing is a, a maturity level to to him of what he's trying to accomplish and all of those things. Um, and a lot of guys, kids, right, they, they come in. I, he wasn't immature in the sense of like a bad kid, but like the maturity of like, like what you're doing on the field and, and all those things and, and and recognizing what you're trying to get done and accomplish within a game and off the field, all the, everything that encompasses what we do. And um, He's been great. Uh, you alluded to it, man. He was – you know, we started out really sluggish in the ACC, and it was lose Friday, lose Saturday, and he, he hand the ball to Mike, and he was shutting it down every Sunday to get us to salvage us that win. And um, I think those moments really helped him grow as a pitcher, the being put in those situations literally week in and week out. Um, and now that we're starting to win, it's it's he's been consistent still. And um, again, I'm just really excited about his development of where he's come since I guess we've what I'd seen before I got here, then from last year to this year, um, it's been fun to watch. It's always, that's for the fun thing about coaching, right? You like to see guys have success in the field, but be able to watch them day in and day out and literally see them grow and develop um, as a person and, and within their game, right? Their craft of being a pitcher. It's been, been fun to watch. He's fun to talk to. He's a great, uh, he's a great personality, a great soul. And um, I will be, will be dearly missed uh, working with him when, when, once he's out of here, but hopefully we can, we can extend this working relationship to deep into June. You got it. And, and now Sundays, you're giving the ball to Nate Savino. I think he's made four Sunday starts. Now the last one was really impressive. At Virginia Tech, when you had to have it in a hostile environment, he gave you the best start of his young career. Super talented kid, another guy highly touted coming into his own. And, and what do you expect to see from him the rest of this uh, this season? Uh, quite honestly, I expect to see more of the same you just saw at Virginia Tech. And why I say this is, it's been coming, right? Nate's development a lot of times wasn't so much with the physical ability, but it was the ability to manage baseball games and, and pitch in high leverage spots, right? Like, no offense to him, but like, hey, he was a, a highly tied high school arm, okay? If he pitched high school games, there was, it was no match for him. <clears throat> and then it, when he's, out, when he's out, out in showcase ball and, and travel ball, he wasn't pitching full games. He's going to showcase circuit, PGL American games, throwing one inning, two innings, which is showcasing all of your abilities in one inning. And not playing the game, true the game of baseball, right? Yeah. Holding runners, managing the game throughout the lineup, and all those things that help you make make you become a winner on the field and at the big league level. Um, he's starting to grow and learn that. And you saw it through starts against Duke and Louisville, like just little moments that maybe went, went, went a different way. He managed it, and then Virginia Tech was kind of a culmination of exactly that. Hey, first inning, two outs, nobody on. Gives up three straight singles, and it was kind of like the oh, here we go again. No. He made the pitch, got out of it, one run, and then Cruz literally yep. to throw seven plus innings on sixty six pitches is pretty damn impressive. <laughs> yeah, you could really see him just growing up there because that that place is pretty rowdy these days, and they're trying to get yes. into his head. Of course, he's only nineteen years old. I mean, we forget how young the kid is, and yep. and, and he just uh, delivered for seven really strong innings. Now your bullpen has been a strength all year. I think you guys had a twenty. Uh, 0.1 inning scoreless streak that unfortunately was broken against VCU recently, but you've got yeah. some real dudes in the back end. Blake Bales had that long scoreless streak earlier in the year. Steven Shock is uh, just sort of a consummate closer. Talk about those two dudes and the confidence you have when you give them the ball. Well, obviously, you know, Steve is Steve, right? Like he's, he's a true closer. Um, you know, 
unless you've done it, um, you never really try to understand how different those last three outs are different than any outs in a white baseball game, mm-hmm. right? Um, of what it takes. And he, he has that, he has the it factor when it comes to that. He has the personality, he has that persona and how he, he carries himself on the field and on the mound. And, and he has our, he has our team's confidence. And I think that's the biggest, the most important thing. Like our team, that, that's our closer. And when he comes to the game in our mind, our game, the game is going to be won, right? Um, um, so that's huge, right? When you have that guy, you know that, Hey, it's, it's a state situation. You give him the ball. There's no thinking to it. Blake, starting from last season, he really started to grow into this role. Um, just becoming a, becoming a dude, basically. Last mm-hmm. year, he, he we, 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 we called the old crap factor was, oh, first and second, nobody out. We give Blake the ball. And next thing you know, we're out of the inning with no runs or, or, or minimized damage of one run. And then that grew into the season of, of again, just coming in and being – being efficient and being consistent. I mean, he has been the model of consistency of when you come in, you know what you're getting, you guys, and upon the strikes on multiple pitches, control the running game, do all these things that you need to do to win baseball games. So to have that kind of two got two headed monster back there, you yeah. can really shorten your you can really shorten a game, right? I mean and I, I love there's other guys on our pen that I love a lot too. And in my mind a lot of times I always look at it, hey, if we have the lead after the fifth inning, we should win the game. You know, that's just how it should be because if our starter gets in trouble, then we'll, in the sixth or in the seventh, we have all the guys in the world to come up matchups and then have your guys get you through the end of the game. So I hope that we, uh, you know, keep, you know, keep doing our things right now to get in the postseason because I think our, I, I truly believe our pitching staff matches up with anybody in the country to get us to get us to the promised land. Well, no, no doubt about it. I don't think anyone wants to face you guys. I mean, you, we mentioned, uh, you know, Bales and Shock. There's Kyle Witten, there's Brandon Neek, there's, Messenger, Paul Kasanovich, a lot of dudes you can give the ball yeah. to. And, and now the offense is starting to click. I want to get your take on, on a guy named Kyle Teal, a highly recruited catcher coming in. It seems to me from a little bit of a distance that he's really jump-started some of that offense with some energy, both behind the plate but really with the bat as well. What have you seen from Teal? Because I know people are really high on him. Exactly what you said, energy, high energy kid, so much fun to be around. And, and, and that's been since day one, since he came in the fall in practice, right? You saw the, you saw the talent with the bat, you know, there's the power, um, the ball just comes off his bat differently than other people. Right. Um, and then he's just his high energy for the baseball game and, and whatnot. And he's a type of kid that you, you try to teach stuff to, but like, and he'll, he'll look at you funny sometime, but you're like, <laughs> just let the kid play. You just let him play and he makes every play. Um, yeah, again, just a, just a, a firecracker and he's been, he's been a huge jump start for us. I mean, to have a kid who's been that consistent and that young, um, when we were struggling, um, he wasn't. And then he's, we slowly brought another guy on board and another guy. Now we've, you know, our line, our lineup is starting to lengthen out and, and obviously we started to score more runs and obviously we scored some runs and still continue to pitch it pretty well. Now we've, we've seen that the, the tide turn in our favor. Now it's just about, you know, finishing it off here these last two weekends to, to, to give us a, a chance to, to, to be in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, just real quick about, about the offense there. When you guys are going well, what are some of the keys for the Virginia offense? Because there's talent up and down that lineup, experience, proven productivity. But what is it when you guys are going well that you guys are doing? You know what? I mean, we're not a powerful lineup, and that's okay, right? I mean, we're not, you know, a, a lot of college baseball teams are turned into just like the big league level, right? Try to hit homers and then strike out, right? We, we, we've tried to, we, we, we move the baseball, we try to hit, you know, line drives, use the whole field. Um, and that's kind of been the Virginia approach since, since even well before I got here, since Coach O'Connor's been here and Coach Mack. Um, 
we're just doing that better. To be honest with you, you know, we're t- we're swinging at better pitches. We're taking, you know, we're grinding more bats out. And when you do that, and, and you put a good swing on the ball, you get more base runners, right? Um, yes. And we're we're doing that, and and we're just taking more consistent at bats. And when we're doing that as a, as a, as a as a collective unit, you're naturally going to score more runs, you know, period. And then it's it really comes down to just that. We would just better competition in the box, period. And it's just and it's paid off in the in the box score. Well, you guys have won four out of your last five ACC series. You host Wake this weekend, then travel B- to BC to close out the season before the ACC tournament. Anything real quick about those two series that um, that you guys are going to try to stress upon, or is it more, hey, let's keep on doing what we do well? Yeah, um, it, it's the same. We had a we had a big team talk uh, in Georgia Tech after we lost the first game of the series down there, and it was it was just let's just lay this thing out. let's just lay everything out on the table. Um, our backs are against the wall. We've started out so poorly. We need to win every series going out um, to give us ourselves to, to be in the NCAA tournament. And yeah. we've won four to five. We, you know, the one series we did lost, you have to try to make it up with a sweep somewhere because um, we all know that you know the, in the ACC and the SEC, no team's ever been 500 and not been in the NCAA tournament. So exactly. in, co- in conference play. And you know, this year might be a little different. I think you know, some people have argued 17 and 19 can get you in because of playing 36 league games. If you look at our league, it's – it's literally been 12 consecutive super regionals exactly. is what it's been like yep. every week, um, which is fun, right? It's a grind. Yeah. You know, it, but it's, it's fun. That's, that's what you want to go compete at the highest level. And, you know, our message is the same, man. Just keep winning series. That's it. You know, try to win these last two series and put ourselves, you know, right there on the, uh, on, you know, on the bubble. And if you can find a way to win five out of six, I think we're, we're in there and we, we, we go to the ACC tournament, um, not having to really do anything crazy. Well, you're getting hot at the right time. And you mentioned the ACC just before I let you go. I mean, there's so much talent in this league, top to bottom, you know, Notre Dame and Pitt now. I mean, really no yeah. easy out there at all, to, to say the least. But uh, I'm wondering about any, any bats that you have scouted and, and pitched against over this, uh, these last 10 weeks that really have impressed you. Any ACC guys in, in, in the well, batter's box that you just really like? I mean, this is an easy one. Henry Davis has one of the best approaches I've seen in 10 years. Interesting. It is unbelievable. Um, it, I mean, we have guys with really good stuff. Like, we have guys who, like, if you put on a big league field, you wouldn't recognize they were a college kid, huh. right? Like, I mean, that's how good our, smart, our guys on the mound are. And this guy was treating him like like, like it was a, an easy video game. Wow. Um, it was just, you know, you made a mistake, he punished you. Um, I just thought the approach was really good, and then you, you and then you understand why he hits 400 and has 10 homers and and all that. But you know he's he will be obviously a top five type pick because he's great behind the dish as well. So from a hitting standpoint, though, I was uber impressed. Um, you know we played North Carolina early on, obviously, and the Thompson kid was huh. <laughs> very Mookie Betts like in center yeah. field, robbing homers, and you know obviously had a huge day at the dish for the huge weekend at the dish, I should say was good and i think he's you know i haven't really paid too much attention but i know he's cooled off a little bit but he's been pretty pretty consistent and, and, and obviously highly athletic and um what was was good i mean there's there's a lot of good hitters right i mean you have a bunch of different guys and the notre dame cavadas kid like yeah he's he's kind of like a matt stairs type right but huh, he, yep hey Great i comp. mean that that is that is real power from line to line right um and and anymore when you look at going to the next level um they want power almost every position anymore, right? Right. So, to, to see that, I thought I thought the Virginia Tech, Tech kid, although we handled him and the whole team pretty well the entire weekend. Um, Gavin Cross, or yeah, yeah, yeah. His, his his approach just was just really good. I remember Vassal threw like a ninety-three mile out two seamer, like black down and away, and he just 
wham, down the left field line. Just like wasn't afraid to go the opposite field. It wasn't, you know, then come in, he tried to go pull side. Just a great approach. And again, understandably why you look at the kids and say, oh, I see why he's hitting 12 homers and hit 400 because he has the ability to be a true, true baseball hitter. Right. Yeah, there's just so many. You mentioned some great names there. Justice Thompson, the center fielder at North Carolina. Um, yeah, he looks like he's he's got four or five tools, and and no doubt he's a gap to gap defender. He's made some great plays. I look forward to seeing him uh, this coming weekend as Louisville comes to North Carolina. Drew, hey, it's so much fun to talk baseball with you. I, I want to wish you all the best here in these last two regular season weekends, the ACC tournament, and I trust uh, a regional and beyond from there. So thanks again, and we'll be in touch down the road. Awesome, Stu. Thanks. Really appreciate it. That's Drew Dickinson, pitching coach of the Virginia Cavaliers. Well, I'm happy to be joined by my friend and co-host Josh White uh, down in, in Miami. Josh, uh, welcome back. Thanks, Stu. It's always uh, fun to be on. Well, especially here with just two weeks left of the regular season. Uh, we've been through quite a few of these now, and it's getting really interesting right now. And of course, a, a very interesting and, and fun interview with Drew Dickinson, the pitching coach of Virginia. You can tell why he's so well-liked by his players, known as a as, as a players coach and you know UVA they've been hot um they've won four of their last five series as we talked about and you know that pitching staff really can carry them a long way if they get just enough offense yeah no you're absolutely right that's the bread and butter of that Virginia team is their pitching whether it's Andrew Abbott Mike Vassell Nate Savino their their weekend rotation is about as good as it gets and and even just as a whole staff when you look at the guys they have in the back end of their pen they're, they're second in the conference in era you know obviously florida state is miles ahead of everyone else but virginia's right there behind them and you now they're going to be a team that you know if they're able to pull off enough wins down the stretch and a lot of it might rely on their pitching they could sneak their way into the ncaa tournament they're you know they, they could make some noise at, in charlotte as well for the ac tournament yeah no doubt about it i don't think anyone wants to face them uh you know, in a short series, given those starters and the bullpen that you mentioned. You spoke of, of Florida State. Let's go there because that was the big weekend series uh, last weekend as we look back that they handed Notre Dame their first weekend series loss in ACC play this year. In fact, the first in Coach Link Jarrett's uh, tenure there at Notre Dame, and they did it with pitching. You know, surprise, surprise. They held Notre Dame to just eight runs in those three games for the big, big series win. Well, again, it, that was a surprise just in, in and of itself that Notre Dame lost the series for the first time in the last you know year plus. And and then just, again, the way Florida State did it, to your point, is they, they've pitched this entire year. That, that's been their recipe for success. Parker Messick, six innings of one-run baseball. Bryce Hubbard on Saturday, five innings of two-run ball, five shutout innings from Connor Grady on Sunday. We talk about Virginia being scary to play in a short series. How about Florida State? I don't think anybody wants to see them come the AC tournament, come a regional. Their pitching is as good as, good as it gets. Their offense at times can be hit or miss. It's, it's really home run or nothing. They got a long ball from Elijah Cabell, who's really turned it on um, the second half of this year. He's been an integral part of their lineup down the stretch. Nander DeSatis has really elevated his game as well. Of course, Matthew Nelson has kind of been that steady part in the heart of their lineup. But that was a an eye-opening win in some regards. For Florida State, obviously we knew they were good, but now it shows you maybe the caliber of how they're beating a top-five team, a top-ten team in Notre Dame. Um, and, and again, it, it was their pitching that silenced the Notre Dame offense that has been so good this year to to the eight runs. Yeah, as you mentioned, they, they are dangerous if they can find enough offense. They lost center fielder Reese Albert two or three weeks ago. 
Uh, he's done for the year after a knee injury, so they're really leaning heavily on, as you said, on, on Matthew Nelson, who's having an all-world season. Cabell has gotten hot, and he's on a 10-game hitting streak, uh, five homers over that time. He homered last night in a huge win for them, a walk-off win against Florida Gulf Coast that they really needed. And if he can give them some consistency, Tyler Martin gets on base. They've got some other guys that can kind of give you pesky at-bats. Uh, Florida State is going to be not much fun to play in the ACC tournament or in a regional. So now let's go uh, to Boston College uh, at Pitt here. And Pitt took care of business as expected, winning that series, winning games one and game two, holding Boston College to just four runs. You know, we talked about this almost week in and week out, Josh. The starting pitching at Pitt on Friday and Saturday night is as consistent and as good as it is in this conference. Mitch Myers and Matt Gilbertson again gave quality starts for the Panthers. I was going to say, we've talked about Virginia and Florida State's pitching so far, but Pittsburgh not too shabby in their own right. Seven and a third out of Myers just giving up a run. And then Saturday, Matthew Gilbertson was stupendous. Eight innings of you know three-run baseball. You get those guys pitching the way they are. Billy Corcoran comes back for them on Sunday. Maybe didn't pitch as well as he would have liked to, but still, that rotation, it might not be Florida State and Virginia good, but Friday and Saturday, they got a one a good one-two punch. If Corcoran's healthy, some of their veterans are starting to hit and come through. This is a pit team that, you know, experience plays in, in college baseball sometimes, and, you know, they, they shot themselves in the foot in that Sunday game against Boston College, making four errors, but they're a team, you know, they, they might not be a flashy name, like Louisville or Florida State, but they're a scary team to face, you know, come the postseason as well. Well, you mentioned Billy Corker, and he was going to be their Friday guy to start the year, and he's now just coming back. And, boy, if he can return to form that he's had in the last two years before this one, that gives Pitt a solid third starter and makes them really difficult in a short series. You know, a guy I want to single out is, is Sky Duff. Uh, who's really been instrumental in, in in how they're playing both offensively and defensively. He had a big offensive series. He's now playing third base out of necessity. But he went 6-for-11 with three doubles and had a key RBI double in that Game 2 win. So a shout-out to Sky Duff. And I've can, if I can mention one other unsung player on the year, you know, Josh, we talk about unsung players every week. But on the year, I'm going to go with a guy named Brock Franks. He's the shortstop at Pitt. Uh, he's only made five errors all season long, and what he's been able to give them is enough offense that they can move David Yanni to second base, and, and Yanni can then just hack. And Yanni now has 11 homers on the year for Pitt, and he had homered in each of the wins this past weekend. And when you look at Sky Duff, Brock Franks, and David Yanni across the uh, third, short, and second, that's a pretty doggone good infield. So let's now go to uh, to one of the most schizophrenic teams uh, in the league, and that that's Clemson. <laughs> Uh, Clemson, who'd been red hot on back-to-back -back series sweeps, well, they get swept by Georgia Tech this past weekend. Yeah, they are a different uh, definition of a 500 ball club in in every right of the word. You know, 500 teams are going to sweep series and they're going to get swept in weird ways too. And and I felt that Clemson really shot themselves in the foot um, in this series. Four errors on Friday. They make uh, three more errors on Sunday. They just did not play clean baseball and. And a lot of credit goes to Georgia Tech because obviously teams can make the errors, but then do cash in and score. And, and, and Georgia Tech did that. They put four runs in the fourth inning. They cruised to a 6-1 win on Friday behind Brant Herter's excellent outing. On Saturday, it was a little tighter, and they got some heroics from Je Justin Henry Malloy, who's really been a bright spot for them this year. He's been pretty consistent from 
from start to finish for them, a walk-off home run in that Saturday game. And then on Sunday, again, it wasn't the same recipe they got on Friday and Saturday with solid pitching. But Marcus Grissom, who, you know, missed the, the start of the year due to injury, he's now the Sunday guy for Georgia Tech. And, again, Stu, we, we talk about him all the time, you know, off the air, just, just saying about Grissom. He, he's got a high ceiling. And I don't know if he's anywhere close to it yet, but he got roughed up quick, but then the offense picked him up. They put nine runs on the board. And again, another big inning for the Yellow Jackets. It's that magical fourth inning for them. Seven runs this time in the fourth, and that got them to a win. So I was not surprised to see Georgia Tech's offense come to play. I was a little surprised to see Clemson kick the ball around as much as they did. Because again, at times they've looked like one of the best teams in the conference, and at times they've looked like towards the bottom of the conference as well. Yeah, that sweep puts uh, Georgia Tech at 18 and 12 and solidly in the tournament. They really needed it and they delivered when they had to have it. You know, this is it. We keep talking about dangerous teams. And I think that's another way of saying they're inconsistent, but when they're good, they can be very good. And Georgia Tech, I think, fits that bill. There's so much talent there. You mentioned Herder on Friday. He's now given them several consistent starts in a row on Friday. They're tough on Friday. Andy Archer coming back. I know he missed a start or two. Uh, he coming back and, and giving them solid outings in, in, in Saturday games is, is really a plus. And you mentioned Grissom. Boy, if he can reach anywhere near that potential, that's a pretty pretty uh, formidable uh, weekend rotation. But it's about consistency with Georgia Tech, both defensively and on the mound. And when they get that, they can beat just about anybody. Let's go to, uh, to Duke in Louisville. <clears throat> this was interesting. The Duke uh, took game one, uh, 13-3. Uh, they bombed Michael Kirian, who's now had four, I think it's at least three, if not four, very difficult starts in a row. His innings are starting to get up there. You're starting to wonder about wear and tear on Michael Kirian. But then Louisville stabilized and won game two and three and took that series. Yeah, Duke pounded them on Friday night. Five home runs for Duke. They crushed Kirian, like you mentioned. Another weird start where he is up eight runs. He ate up some innings, but... You know, that, that's something to keep an eye on when it comes to Louisville and how that, that might play into the postseason if he continues to tail off. But then on Saturday and Sunday, or rather Saturday just in the doubleheader, they, they got kind of what you expected. Uh, Luke Seed was great again for Louisville. Maybe it doesn't give them the length that Kirian does, but he's probably been their best starter all year long. He was good. Uh, they had a reliever come in who was very, very good. And they're a team that, as they always do, they, they do the little things right and outs, but now is starting to heat up and come through in timely spots. And I think we talk a lot, Stu, about teams being good offensive, having a good average, but that doesn't tell the whole story. It's what do you do when you have runners in scoring position? What do you do when you have runners on base? And Louisville only had six hits in the first game of the doubleheader on Saturday, but, you know, they were able to score five runs. They had Brunella sacrifice fly, he had a solo. Usher had a two-run blast. You had a timely base knock by Brown. You know, you got guys to contribute in different ways, and I think that was big for Louisville. And then... In game two of the doubleheader, they, they did a, a completely different story. They just had everyone hit the baseball as effectively as possible. And, again, it's another case where Duke booted the ball around and Louisville took advantage for eight runs in an inning. And those long innings will wear on you. And it's a sign of a good ball club that Louisville, it's not just relying on a Henry Davis or an Alex Benellis. Guys one through nine are producing for that team. And, I, you, to your point, we keep saying these teams are dangerous, and maybe that's just because they're inconsistent, and when they're right, it goes. And Louisville, you know, they're towards the top of the conference, but they're a team that might not be getting as much respect nationally as they normally do. And, again, if, if they play to their potential, they're as scary as can be. And 
that you're starting to see signs of this Louisville team get a little more consistent. Yeah, one guy to keep an eye on is Levi Usher, uh, the right fielder there who's uber talented. As, as we talked about last week, Josh, you walk him and it's as good as a double because I think he's got 25 stolen bases and leads the ACC. He's starting to hit a little bit, really a toolsy guy. And if he can give them some consistency uh, you know, down at the other end of the uh, the order, that offense just becomes that much more dangerous. But, you know, Louisville, this isn't uh, Dan McDonald's best team by any means. But, again, it's a team that uh, I don't think too many people want to face in a short series. So big win for Louisville over Duke. Duke is scuffling. They're, they're uh, holding tight now onto the 12th position in the ACC tournament. They're in right now, but they've got more work to do. We'll talk about that in a minute. The other series were non-conference series. Miami uh, you know, sweeps App State. Virginia Tech sweeps Toledo. And Wake Forest, they lost to Elon, but then they won a, a doubleheader against Belmont. I know you're very familiar with the Miami App State series. Any observations there, Josh? It was the only thing that stood out to me was on Friday night. It was a very, very close game. And Miami has done a very good job of beating up on non-conference uh, competition this year. After this series, they're 11 and one against non-con teams and their only losses to Florida on opening night. So they haven't lost a non-conference game since February. Um, but Friday night was close. The tying run came to the plate in the ninth inning before Palmquist struck out uh, the batter. And then Saturday and Sunday was, was what you expected a 16 to one win for Miami a 10 to two win on Sunday. So, so I think that was the positive for Miami is that they had the results that they expected against an app state team that, you know, is barely in the top 200 um, in RPI. So that, that was kind of what stood out to me in that series and a very similar, you know, kind of thought with Virginia tech. When, when you're playing these out of conference series late in the year, all you want to do is take care of business and, you know, cross your fingers that you stay healthy. I think both of those teams, um, did that. And I think the big thing for both of those teams is you give a chance for, uh, especially Miami, maybe not as much Virginia Tech, but you get a chance to get some other guys in the game that might come up in big spots late in the year. And then you also get to figure out your rotation a little bit. I think Miami has been scuffling for that, you know, from the first weekend. They don't have a single guy that started the year in the rotation um, that's still in their weekend spot. And, you know, it seems like they've got three starters in Alex McFarland, Jake Smith, um, and Jake Garland, there might not be the three flashiest names, but they're three guys that have delivered for the last couple weekends. And it's it's very similar in that for Virginia Tech that, you know, you're starting to get some different guys step up that, you know, they're missing one of their guys that, you know, Shane Connolly had stepped up in a while. And, you know, they get Chris Gerard back and he's able to get a couple innings under his belt, but still not in full form. And I, I think that's big for those two clubs that it might not show up in the ACC standings, but to get healthy, and to get back on the right foot is huge. Speaking of healthy, NC State, Virginia, and North Carolina all had the weekend off for finals. Uh, I know NC State for, you know, they, they've been riding about 13 or 14 guys. That's pitchers and position guys all year. So that break, I think, is really timely for NC State. Let's uh, talk about our position and, and pitcher of the week here, Josh, as we normally do. Uh, who's your pitcher of the week uh, from this past week in the ACC? So my pitcher of the week, is actually on a losing team. I know that sounds weird, uh, but he he won his game, but his team did not win the series. Uh, it's John Bertrand of Notre Dame. He, he was excellent again. Seven innings of scoreless work, his eighth quality start of the year, his sixth outing that he went seven innings or longer, set a career high with nine strikeouts, just walked one guy, and, and all five hits he allowed were singles. He, he was great at silencing that Florida State team. Again, he can't pitch every day, so you understand why. You know, Florida State was able to win two of those three, but 
Bertrand's my pitcher of the week. Who's your unsung pitcher of the week? I'm going to go with Jack Carey of Duke. He gave uh, Duke that key outing in game one, uh, that win against Louisville there. Seven innings, only one earned run allowed. Uh, he's given them several good starts now. He also was uh, the winning pitcher against Notre Dame, giving them six scoreless innings uh, several weekends ago. So Jack Carey is my unsung pitcher of the week. And uh, how about your unsung position player of the week, Josh? Okay, I don't know how unsung this is from a name perspective, but I think what he did this past weekend was a little unsung. I'm going with Alex Benellis of Louisville, and I'm not just, and this is going to go a little outside the box too, I'm not just going with what he did in ACC play, which is usually a little frowned upon, but they played Vanderbilt in the midweek. So that, that's why I'm going with Benellis. He had a home run in the first three games of the week, hit 385, drove in seven runs. He was big as part of the win over Vandy. He was big in the series over Duke. So I'm going with Benellis as my unsung position player of the week. Who are you going for the league's position player of the week? Well, it was a little bit more difficult this time with only four conference series to find a guy who really jumped out. But I'm going to go with Andrew Jenkins, the first baseman of Georgia Tech. He was six for 13, scored four runs, had five RBIs, two doubles, and a homer. Why is he the guy? Well, he's really providing some pop in that the batting order that's getting a little bit tired. We talked about dudes needing a rest. Uh, Drew Compton is on a 10 for 63 skid. And even uh, everyone's freshman All-American, Kevin Parada, is 11 for his left 56. So they've needed uh, to, to sit down and, and um, to have somebody else step up. And right now that guy is Andrew Jenkins. So he's my position player of the week. And so with that, Josh... Let's now turn ahead. We have two weekends left here. We're starting to talk about uh, bubble in, bubble out, and uh, regional hosts. And let's start with the regional hosts because I think any moment now, the NC2A Selection Committee is going to announce the 20 potential regional host sites. I've got some pretty good information. I'm going to go with the ACC is only going to get two, and those are going to be Notre Dame and Pitt. Um, so that's, that's what I'm hearing. And, uh, Josh, any reaction to just two ACC teams getting regional hosts this year? Well, I'm not surprised that they're getting only two just because of, I think if you look at the way the conference has played this year, it makes sense. I, I think Notre Dame has obviously secured a top 16. They're probably on the bubble for a top eight at the moment they're in, you know, if they're able to rattle off a couple series wins, uh, down the stretch here and, you know, hold up serve in the AC tournament. I think they'll lock up a top eight. I'm a little surprised there's maybe not third in the top 20. That I think is more surprising to me. Um, since they're releasing 20 finalists that, you know, my uh, that the ACC wouldn't have three. I think Notre Dame's a slam dunk. And then you're looking at three others that, you know, are kind of on that bubble for the top 20, whether it be Pittsburgh, Florida State, and Louisville. And, and I think the big thing, just from Louisville's perspective, they're, they're a team that's in the top 10, top 15, and they're not a host side. And I think the reason is, and again, this is for what it's worth. I don't think it's a perfect system, but the RPI for Louisville is not very good. It's barely in the top 50, and it fluctuates every day whether they're in the top 50 or they're not. So I'm not surprised Louisville wasn't listed as a finalist. Florida State's a little surprising to me. I'm not saying they should be a top 16 this moment, but it's tough on May 13th to cut them out from hosting when they're right on that bubble. They're probably, what, the 21st team in the country. To knock them out is a little surprising to me. But overall, I think the league is down this year, so it makes sense why you're looking at fewer ACC hosts than normal. So if, in fact, it is true that only Pitt and Notre Dame are the ACC hosts, I think Florida State can look back at the early season series when they got swept by Pitt 
as the reason they're left uh, you know, with an empty bag in terms of hosting a regional. So how about that? If, if Notre Dame and Pitt are indeed the two clubs, those are two teams that were predicted to finish last in their respective <laughs> divisions by the ACC coaches. So that if there's any indication about what a wacky year it's been, I think that uh, that's a good one right there. Let's look at some of these matchups here. NC State, it's really been an anomaly for them. Usually, at least in the recent history, they've started hot and then cooled. Well, this is the exact opposite this year. They've won 14 out of their last 17, and they're going to play Pitt this year. Uh, I think NC State is a team that, you know, again, their offense is really starting to click on all cylinders. They're getting depth out of that lineup, and their starting pitching has been outstanding. Stu, I think with NC State, you'd have to imagine they're in. They're over 500 in conference play at 14 and 13. Their overall record is good. But very, very quickly, NC State could find themselves on the bubble once again. They play Pitt this weekend on the road, like you mentioned. And then they have to host Florida State. So I would imagine you got to finish maybe a game under 500 in conference play at worst two to have a chance. But again, that's going to be a little tough when you're playing Pitt and Florida State. So NC State, in my mind, is in the tournament right now, but they've got to hold enough, you know, they got to, they got to get a couple of wins between Pitt and Florida State to finish close enough in the ACC to 500 to get in. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think histo- history will tell you that if you're two games under 500, you have a decent shot, but you better win a game or two in the conference tournament. So I think you're right uh, spot on with that one, Josh. And another team I'd put in that category is Miami. Miami's 15 and 14. Georgia Tech comes to town. I know you're going to be doing one of those games on ESPN+. Plus. You know, Miami, talk about schizophrenic teams again. They've been up and they've been down, but they've won 12 in a row at home. And uh, how do you see that club uh, here as we enter mid to late May? Well, it, it's really interesting with Miami because you mentioned kind of the, the schizophrenia. Some weeks they look like one of the better teams in the conference. And other weeks they get absolutely embarrassed and shut out and it, it, it's kind of crazy that nearly half of their ACC losses this year have come against Pitt uh, and Florida State. That's just been the year that Miami has had. I think they're an interesting team because at home, you mentioned that they haven't lost since March against Florida State in that series. They've won 12 in a row. They have Georgia Tech, who they've been up and down plenty this year. I would not be surprised to see Miami take two of three against Georgia Tech. Um, now, I wouldn't be surprised to see it the other way as well. I, I doubt either team gets swept. Um, and, and if I'm Miami, I think you feel very, very comfortable if you split the last six games that you have with Georgia Tech and Louisville. You finish above 500 in conference play, as we're talking about. But I even think winning two of the remaining six games probably gets Miami in uh, to the NCAA tournament. Right now, in my mind, they're a, a higher three seed um, in the NCAA tournament. I think, you know, obviously the goal would be getting to a two for them. Um, but, but I just don't think they've performed well enough in, in conference play to get to a two just yet. So a team that I think if we were to end the season right now might be bubble out, but fortunately there's two weekends left, and that's Virginia. We talked about them. They're 13 and 17. They end by hosting Wake Forest and traveling to Boston College, two teams that right now are on the outside looking uh, in at the ACC tournament. So things have set up well for Virginia if they can win both of those series and get to 17 and 19, maybe win a game in the ACC tournament, I think they're in. Yeah, I, I think that's spot on, Stu. I, I think they're either team 65, 66, or 67 right now. But but to your point, they have six, I don't want to say easy games in the ACC because, you know, it's baseball and funny things happen. Anyone can beat anyone on any given day. But I think Virginia will likely see themselves sneak into the tournament 
I think you're looking at nine ACC bids right now, not including Virginia. I think there's a chance the conference may get to 10, which is a little surprising thinking about how down the conference is. But I think there's a chance that Virginia sneaks in and it gets you uh, to 10 bids. The other one that, to me, is a little further on the bubble than at Virginia is North Carolina. And I think they've got significantly more work to do now that they're under 500 in conference play at 14 and 16. And, you know, the overall record isn't as good as Virginia's is. So I think North Carolina has some more work to do. And, again, they have to beat a good Louisville team, which, you know, that that might stand up a little bit and help their chances. But I think Virginia, to your point, has a chance to get in, but they're on the outside looking in right now. And North Carolina is a couple steps beyond that. I would agree with you. North Carolina is 21 and 22 overall. And unfortunately, they've got two losses to Liberty. That's a good Liberty team, but those are two non-conference losses. They lost to Coastal, to Charlotte, and to UNCG. So they have some work to do. Louisville here, if they could take this series, I think that would give them a really good position going into Georgia Tech in the final weekend. But Carolina at 14 and 16 right now, I would say bubble out. I think in is Virginia Tech, but boy, they'd like to have a lot more momentum than they currently have right now. They've lost three consecutive series uh, in the ACC to Georgia Tech, NC State, and Virginia. They're 2-7 and seven over the, those last three series. They travel to Duke, a team that I think is probably one of my most disappointing teams in the ACC this year. They sit 10-17, and 17, and Duke needs a couple, two or three wins to solidify a spot in the ACC tournament. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that that's the team that's really licking their chops right now because they were a team that was supposed to be much, much better um, this year. Most spots in the AC tournament have been clinched, but you're looking at a few of the bottom feeders fighting for position, whether it's Duke, Boston College, Wake Forest. Heck, even Virginia technically uh, could not make it. It's very likely that they will just given who they have left and, and given that they have a three-game cushion um, over Duke. But Boston College, Wake, and Duke are really fighting for that last spot in the conference tournament. You would have to imagine Duke would get it, just given what you know those three teams have left, given how they've performed. But but you never know. And and probably for a team like Duke or Boston College or Wake Forest, their only chance of making the NCAA tournament would be you know practically to run the table in the ACC tournament. So I don't see that happening for those three teams. Um, but it, we're coming down the stretch, so it's going to get really really interesting. The team to watch in my eyes in terms of who might win the ACC tournament and who might make the most noise in the NCAA tournament, despite, you know, us not thinking they're going to get a host site. It's Florida State to me. I think that team with that pitching, and their only concern with me is their offense. Can they be consistent enough offensively not to rely on the home run ball to win? Because if they get enough offense, I think that team is dang tough to beat. So I think Florida State might be the toughest out in the ACC. Probably Notre Dame right behind them. And then it's neck and neck in my eyes, maybe between Louisville and Pitt of, you know, that, that third team that might be a tough out in the conference. So I'm going to give you a sleeper, uh, and, and that's Virginia Tech. And the reason is Chris Gerard looks like he's back and healthy. He gave them a kind of a spot start to see how his groin was doing last weekend. Reports are that he was fantastic over those two innings, so he's going to get a weekend start. And him and, and Anthony Simonelli are two really, really good pitchers when they're both on. So with that offense, you know, Virginia Tech could sneak up on some people if Gerard is indeed healthy. And the last matchup here, Josh, is Clemson at 15 and 15 visits Florida State. You know, Clemson, again, we talked about how they're either on or they're off. And 
at 500 right now, they're in, um, but they have more work to do to solidify an NCAA berth for uh, for Monty Lee. Yeah, it's and, and that's a huge berth for Monty Lee, in my opinion. I think the expectation that they have built at that program under Monty Lee is to get in, and they haven't been in in a couple of years. I think at the moment they're in, Stu, and we talk about that magic number in ACC play around the 500 mark usually gets, your, gets you in as long as overall you're fine. And Clemson is flirting with that line dangerously. They're 23 and 21 overall, 15 and 15 in conference play. A lot rides on this weekend against Florida State. That's a tough play uh, for them. And, and again, that, that's what might put you in, though, is if, if you're able to beat a big-time team in May just to get you in, that, that could be enough for Clemson. And, and I think we're going to get a lot more answers this weekend, Stu, of who has a better chance and who doesn't based on what happens. If you see a couple sweeps in the conference where Florida State sweeps Clemson or Louisville sweeps North Carolina, those two teams could be knocked out entirely in the running. And then the same goes for, you know, on the other side, if Virginia sweeps Wake Forest or Miami takes two of three or NC State sweeps Pitt or even takes two of three, those teams could feel a little more secure about their spots in the postseason berth. Yeah, I think it's the, the bottom line here is it's been a crazy, wacky uh, 10 weeks so far, and we haven't seen anything yet with two weeks to go and the ACC tournament. Clemson had a big win the other night against South Carolina. You know, that's something that could put them just over the edge if, if they're right on the fence. And then two teams that have the week off uh, this week here, Boston College at 9-21. and 21. Uh, I'd say they're right there with Duke is the most disappointing team right now. They're outside looking in for the ACC tournament and might need some help to get in there. And then Notre Dame, good break after losing that first series. They're at, uh, at 22 and, and 10. Uh, they close at Virginia Tech, but right now they're uh, hitting the books here and, and, and finalizing things. So, Josh, uh, so much fun here. It's really getting interesting. I, I know you have an assignment uh, this week. What are you going to be uh, broadcasting? I've got Miami Georgia Tech on Friday on radio and then Miami Georgia Tech on Sunday on ACC Network Extra. Uh, that should be a lot of fun. I'm going to be at uh, North Carolina and see Louisville, North Carolina in, in uh, the key series here in the Triangle. So with that, Josh, we'll sign off and uh, check in next week uh, and see where things are in the ever-wacky ACC.